Welcome to Startup the Science, a podcast by Enam, the Innovation Network for Advanced Materials. Enam brings together companies, researchers, and investors working in the advanced materials space for the purposes of knowledge sharing and collaboration. We do this through our programs, events, and initiatives like the podcast you are listening to. In this podcast, we interview inspirational founders, experts, and investors and get a closer look at what they do. This is your host, Tahad Nan, and let's start up the science. Fun thing about cars is that whenever they break down, you can always fix them, as long as you have the right spare parts. But with the human body, it's different. When something breaks down, there are no spare parts. I mean, if you're lucky, you can find a suitable donor, but still it's not ideal, as there's always mismatches. But what if we could actually 3D print the right donor tissues out of your own cells so that your body doesn't even notice the difference? This is exactly what the field of biofabrication is focusing on. But one thing which is crucial to get there is to have reliable, reproducible materials to make the cells printable, keep them alive during and after printing, and these materials are called bioinks. And it's exactly that that we are developing at Bioinks. This episode of Startup the Science was sponsored by Berlin Partner. If you would like to get in touch, please reach out to the Enam team. Hello, everyone. Welcome back to Startup the Science. It is my incredible pleasure today to welcome Jasper van Horik from BioInks, uh, who is here with us. Jasper, how are you? I'm very good. Thank you. Yeah. Uh, so for those of you who don't know, uh, BioInks was an Admacom Autumn participant in 2021. So how has it been since uh, the accelerator? How have, was your experience during it? And how did it impact your company's growth since? Well, uh, a lot has happened since then. I mean, back then we were still a university project named Expectings, uh, working towards valorization. But uh, since then, we actually got incorporated. We raised uh, capital and we changed name from Expectings to BioWings. Uh, and currently we are actually preparing our new labs where we will move to in August. Um, and for us, Admacom was a great experience um, as it really has helped us getting some insights in the company strategy and especially in the negotiation strategy with the university. That's good to hear. That's good to hear. Yeah. And uh, how did you come across the idea for BioInks? How did you, was there a sort of aha moment where you realized that this is the idea you want to work on? Well, uh, for me, the main reason I started studying chemistry a long, long time ago um, was because I wanted to make a difference uh, and I was always fascinated by the field. And then especially when I heard that you could use chemistry for regenerative medicine applications and biofabrication, uh, I really wanted to make a, make a difference. And during my PhD as a materials chemist, I always focused on developing new materials, uh, new uh, inks for 3D printing. And I had a lot of collaborations with other researchers wanting to use my materials. But what happens uh, way too often in academia is that there's very promising research on the application field, mm -hmm. but it never really makes it further in academia because they are relying on people like me, for example. Uh, and then if they want to continue and they need new materials, then the project has finished or the PhD student has stopped and then it never really takes the next step. So. It was actually by, by thinking about that that we wanted to give the right tools, the reliable tools uh, to researchers so they could further build their applications on by offering standardized uh, materials uh, to the field. And that's actually how, um, how we came up with the idea of, of bioings. 
So can you tell us a bit more about the bioprinting process and how does it differ from regular 3D printing? Do you require special machinery? So actually the, the bioprinting process is in a way a lot, uh, is in a way very similar to, um, to normal 3D printing processes, but there's many different uh, printing technologies and many different strategies. So uh, the most straightforward one is, is deposition-based printing, where you deposit your materials from a syringe in a layer-by-layer -layer, uh, fashion. This is very similar as the conventional FDM printers, uh, which, which a lot of people now have at home. Um, the only difference is that you print from a, a watery solution in the, in the presence of cells. Uh, so you have to make some, some adjustments there. Um, but then there's other technologies as well. Uh, there's a lot of research going to light-based technologies. So for example, stereolithography or, or digital light projection. Uh, are technologies where you use light to cure a liquid resin and everywhere uh, the light has passed, your resin will solidify. And in that sense, you can, um, you can also um, generate a structure in a layer-by-layer -layer fashion. And the benefit from this technology is that it has a high resolution. You can go down into the range of a few tens of, of micrometers. But then um, the most interesting uh, technology from my personal perspective is uh, multi-photon lithography. So you could sort of call this a bit of an advanced stereolithography. So what you do there is you use a very powerful uh, laser, which has half, uh, which has double the required wavelength. So you use typically an infrared laser in order to cure uh, UV curable material. And having double the wavelength means that every photon has only half the required energy so what you do is you you focus your laser you basically put all your photons or light particles into a funnel uh, and then when they are concentrated enough there is a chance that you will have two photons interacting with your material at the same time thereby mm -hmm. uh, bridging the energy gap and as a consequence this is the only technology where you're Curing is very confined in all three dimensions, uh, which results in extreme high resolutions, so even below the, the micrometer range. I see. So you've basically started with, um, with normal FDM type uh, depositions, and then slowly, as you move on to these processes, uh, your resolution increases. Is that correct? Yes, indeed. So it's, it's when you go to light-based, your, your resolution always increases, and then uh, you have... Um, yeah, more and more advanced technologies. Uh, and now recently there's actually been a, a new technology which can be very interesting uh, in the field of, of biofabrication, which is called volumetric 3D printing. And what you're doing there actually is you use a, a hologram, uh, which makes your uh, structure appear in a few seconds in contrast to minutes or hours with other printing technologies, uh, which is very interesting. And do you foresee the same type of applicability towards bioprinting? Well, that technology can even uh, be a lot more interesting because um, one thing which is important during bioprinting, if you want to print in the presence of cells, is that your cells stay alive um, during the printing process. And therefore, you typically don't want to print for too long times. So having a technology like this where you can generate centimeter-sized constructs within a few seconds is ideal for cell viability because then they're only uh, out of their normal environment for a, for a short period of time and you can use them again um, afterwards. Interesting. So how do the other methods keep the cells alive uh, for the currently extended periods of time? 
Yeah, so what is very important to keep the cells alive is, uh, of course, that they're in an environment uh, which is very cell-friendly. So uh, for us, when we develop a bioink, uh, first thing we look at is defining the maximum concentrations of all the components so that they uh, don't become toxic. So that's the first thing, and that's, in a way, the, the easy part. Then you at least know what limits you can, you can work with. Um, but it becomes tricky because certain um, components become toxic upon irradiation. Uh, so it's also very important that during the printing process, uh, when you irradiate, when you start your chemical reaction to cure your material, that you don't generate any toxicity there. So um, we, we try to solve that by using uh, clever photo-initiating systems and, and um, cytocompatible chemistry, basically, uh, for cross-linking. I see. Yeah, it seems to be a very, very intricate process. Um, a lot can potentially go wrong. Um, yeah, so uh, let's talk a bit more about the types of cells that you can use, perhaps. Um, so does it have to be the same cell as the organ that you were printing for? Or could you use stem cells that differentiate into the organ after printing? How would it work? Uh, so basically, you can use... Um in theory, whatever cell type you want. So what you often have to do if you want to uh, complicate a, uh, produce a complicated structure is you need different cell types on different areas. Uh, so then depending on the printing technology, um, you can have different cartridges with different cell types and print them uh, in between each other. Or you can use a combination of printing in the presence of cells of a specific cell type and then cell seeding uh, on top of the structure or inside the channels afterwards. Um, so basically, in that sense, you can use uh, whatever cell type you want. Um, and one cell type, which is, of course, very interesting, is stem cells, because uh, certain cell types are very difficult to, to harvest or are very difficult to, to cultivate. So in that sense, stem cells can, uh, can sometimes become the solution to this problem if you can differentiate them into the required stem, uh, cell type. Um, yeah, that leads me to possible use cases of this technology. What could you use bioprinting to do? Yeah, so um, the dream we all have within the field is also one of the reasons why I uh, wanted to, to launch this company to, to help turn this dream into reality, is that one day we can use this, of course, for regenerative medicine. Um, so that, that you don't need donor tissues or that whatever injury or disease you have that you can basically um, replace the damaged tissue with an exact copy or maybe an even an enhanced copy if, of course, you, you have some kind of uh, defect with an enhanced copy in your own cells so that your, your, your body doesn't even know the difference and you just uh, are good for so many years uh, to come again. But, of course, as you can imagine, there are still some, some uh, roadblocks ahead uh, there are some technological roadblocks. One thing where everybody's working on is um, vascularization of the of the tissue, and the second very important roadblock, maybe the important most important one of them all, is um, the regulatory um, trajectory, um, because there is currently not really a regulatory framework for this type of technology. So if you want to get this into the clinic, um, this also has to be tackled, but. Fortunately, you can already use this technology uh, for a lot of applications today. And the main application, uh, in, from my perspective, is everything related to uh, animal-free testing. So if, 
instead of testing your cosmetics or your drugs on, on animal models, um, you could use you could test them on 3D printed human models in a way without having to harm animals or humans. So, for example, in the cosmetics field, there's a lot of interest into um, 3D printed or artificially created skin models uh, where you can test uh, the, the compatibility um, before applying it to to actual test persons. Uh, so that's that's the first thing. And then a second thing also related to that is um, organ-on-chip technology, uh, where you basically 3D print microorgans to test your components on. And here you could, for example, also use this for, for personalized healthcare. So imagine you have a complicated brain tumor. Um, usually, um, if that's the case, there's not that many different uh, chemotherapeutics that you can try. Usually when you tried one and it doesn't work, you're already very, very weak and your chances of survival become very low. So imagine that you could take a biopsy of the tumor, 3D print this in a, in a chip and first optimize uh, the treatment on this 3D printed copy of your tumor, see which one works best before trying it on the, on the patient itself. Yeah, so perhaps just a little bit more on the organ organ printing application. Um, so normally in transplants, when you put in a new organ in a body, it's immediately rejected, or there's a high chance of it being rejected. Uh, with your technology, that would not be a problem. Uh, is that correct? Would you require immunosuppression? Indeed. So that's a bit the, the idea, because it would be your own cells. It would be uh, your body wouldn't even notice a difference, but... One thing you then need to take into account uh, is that, of course, that the materials that you're using, the actual bioinks, uh, do not have any um, uh, immune system interaction. I see. Uh, so therefore, it's, it's very important that they're very reliable, that they're very pure, that they are not contaminated with, with anything, and that they are very biocompatible materials, of course. Um, so that's the, 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 then the, the, the problem shifts from the cells to the to the biomaterials for primarily that is the solvent itself right so what interactions happen with the solvent does it i imagine in a curing process such as uh photo curing it evaporates off but uh in other cases does it stay around how does it interact so it, it depends really a lot on the on the printing process but um if you're printing in the presence of cells uh, then the formulations that we are developing or that we that we currently have they're hydrogel based so they're water based so in that sense uh, you develop your your material after printing using cell culture medium or pbs and you wash away everything which hasn't been cured so it, it all dissolves in the medium you refresh your medium uh, and I it's see. gone so that's for when you print in the presence of cells and when you're working with um, with hydrogels mm -hmm. um, what you can also do we also have formulations which are uh, biodegradable polyesters which you typically want to use if you need stronger mechanical properties, like for example, in bone regeneration. Mm -hmm. There, of course, you print in the absence of cells. So then you first print your construct and you wash away your, your polyester with an organic solvent. Mm -hmm. um, but we what we aim there is to use solvents, which are also water soluble, so that even if there's still trace amounts left, you can also wash them away uh, with your cell culture medium so that okay. they don't uh, remain there. And um, that's a bit in, in terms of the, of the used solvents, but also in terms of the materials. Um, 
the ultimate goal is that we use biodegradable materials mm-hmm. so that after you implant uh, your, your structure with the cells, that your cells will gradually um, degrade the material and substitute it with their own newly formed uh, extracellular matrix so that after a certain period of time, uh, there is actually nothing left which your body isn't familiar with. So she, you wouldn't even be able to tell that you ever uh, had a, a 3D printed tissue there. Yeah. So, so that's mm-hmm. a bit the, the ultimate goal. Um, and that, of course, brings in another um, area of complexity because not only your materials need to be biocompatible, but you also want your, bio, your degradation products to be biocompatible and to be uh, secreted by the, by the human body. Uh, yep. So this is also something which needs to be taken into account. Then. Mm-hmm. This is a very sought after thing in regenerative medicine all over, I think. Um, let's talk a bit about the printing. Um, how do you print hollow structures that have the potential to collapse? Do you require some sort of structures beforehand, some sort of mold? Yeah, so there it it, um, it depends again on the on the printing technology, but this is indeed a, a, a problem that uh, that customers are, are facing. So when we are uh, using deposition-based printing, so the the most conventional printing technology, we actually develop the material specifically for this. Uh, it's called supportings, and what you actually do is you print your support structure with it uh, using using two print heads. And then once uh, your structure is complete, you can wash the sacrificial material away and you end mm-hmm. up with your, with your channel. So this is a strategy in, in deposition-based printing. But with certain printing technologies, um, you actually don't really need that. Like, for example, in, in multi-photon lithography or in, in volumetric printing, mm-hmm. uh, you can print in three dimensions within your, your material. So there you can actually have a gel or solid material, um, meaning that while you are printing, your your uncured resin is a solid or a gel, and it supports your your uh, material which is still being cured. So once it's cured, it's strong, uh, and then you can wash away uh, the 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 uncured resin, uh, mm-hmm. and then that will disappear and it will leave the voids that you're uh, looking for. So. Depending on the printing technology, you don't even need to have any support structure. You can even uh, um, benefit from that. And it's exactly for that that we've developed some, uh, some materials. And we actually have, um, have a patent on these uh, solid-state curable uh, materials, which are a great benefit in this ex- aspect. I see. I see. And would you say this is your USB? Uh, what would you describe your selling proposition? Uh, this is one of, of uh, the USBs we have. So basically what, what we are really focusing on, what we are um, experts at is developing these materials for high resolution printing for uh, multi-photon lithography, um, which is what is really needed to, to advance the field, to have this high resolution, to be able to go into cellular or even subcellular dimensions. To, uh, to mimic the, the natural complexity of, of, of tissues. Um, so this is really where we are uh, strong at. Uh, and in that sense, we currently have the only resin uh, enabling printing of living cells uh, with this micrometer resolution. We also have um, the only biodegradable, biocompatible uh, polyester-based resin, which can be printed down to a few hundreds of nanometers um, resolution. And it's actually because of, of, of these aspects that we that we managed uh, 
to get uh, a partnership with the, with the market leaders in this high resolution printing field, being uh, Nanoscribe and, and Nano, who are um, actively distributing our materials. So this is our main unique selling proposition. But we also have a have another unique selling proposition in that sense that we are focusing on developing materials for different printing technologies. And we are trying to offer equivalent materials for all printing technologies so that if a customer or a researcher wants to shift from one technology to the other, that they don't need to start again from scratch, mm-hmm. uh, start with the development so that they can use the equivalent material uh, from our portfolio, which has mm-hmm. the same uh, quality standards and uh, the same reproducibility um, in that uh, aspect. I see. I, I imagine other competitors in the space are very specific with uh, the types of technologies that they support, correct? Yeah. So in in this field, what, what happened most of the time is that um, companies are uh, focusing on, on um, building a 3D printer, selling 3D printers, and then they offer some materials as add-ons uh, to, the, to the printers. And then uh, since this field is growing and, and the market is growing, we figured it's difficult to do everything in within one company mm-hmm. uh, in that sense. So therefore we decided, okay, we are experts in the, in the material point. We are experts in the, in the bioing field. So let us focus on this offering standardized high quality uh, materials. And we also offer this to uh, companies who built the printers so that they can rely on developing the best printer in the world without having to worry about the materials. And then we can just tailor our materials to their printing system uh, so that the end customer actually get the best solution, gets the best of both worlds. So innovative uh, materials with innovative printers and that both companies can focus on their core expertise and, and yeah, mm-hmm. expand in, in that sense. So that's a bit our um, reasoning why we wanted to start with this uh, and why we are also not offering any, any 3D printers ourselves. So uh, as a spinoff from university, is there any advice you would like to give to other founders who are looking to follow the same path? I know we touched upon this in the beginning uh, mm-hmm. with a bit about academia, but yeah, perhaps some more insight would be useful. Yeah. So in that sense, first advice I would, I would say is like, um, do not hesitate to, to try to turn your ideas into reality. I mean, that's also how it started with us. Uh, I was getting to the end of my PhD and then having a lot of collaborations, thinking about how we got really nice uh, results in, uh, mm-hmm. in, in the, my PhD research. And then I was thinking like how, how sad it is that even if you get really nice results, if there's no follow-up project, if there's nobody working on it, nobody will, will bother anymore because that's often not what university is, is looking into. They want to do research and, and often they don't really care too much about about commercialization or getting it into the clinic because it's too complicated or too expensive mm-hmm. or whatever. Uh, but they want to sort of incentivize researchers. And, and I think more and more universities are doing that, meaning that this also gives a lot of opportunities. Like uh, in our case, we could apply for a university grant to right. see if we could turn our technology into a viable product. So in that sense, I would say if you have an idea and if you uh, believe in your technology, if you want to make a difference, start first by looking, isn't there any grant I can apply for? Because then in that sense, you can, you can sort of explore 
your idea in a way uh, pretty risk-free, mm -hmm. so to say. Yeah. Um, but you have to take into account uh, that this can be a blessing in disguise in a, in a way. Mm -hmm. Because uh, at the beginning, you can always benefit from the technology and the reputation from your university. But you also have to take into account that, that universities are, their main goal is not necessarily to commercialize products. And in that mm -hmm. sense, they can sometimes be uh, tricky to negotiate IP uh, deals with. So to tackle this, I, I would highly recommend to, to talk to other spin-offs, to, to other startup companies and, and to also engage in, in events like, like Admacom, which mm -hmm. for us really had a, was a real, real eye-opener in that sense, also to develop our, our business strategy. And especially for, for me, um, I had a very interesting discussion with, with Robert Harrison, mm -hmm. uh, who really gave me a lot of uh, great insights on, on licensing strategy and on on how to position yourself uh, to, to university. Um, so I would say, talk to as many people, learn from their experience, learn from their mistakes, and sort of take this um, with you uh, in your negotiations with university. Mm -hmm. It's just about taking initiative yourself. And then I think uh, there are quite a lot of sources of help available. Uh, like you mentioned, Admacom, the accelerators we run, we also have incubator programs, um, so that is ideally for people coming straight out of research with an idea. Um, they have 12 months to basically build on that product and by the end of it are a fully functioning company. Um, so yeah, the help exists. You just have to be brave enough to go find it. Indeed. Yeah, so this will lead me to my last question for today. Um, all disruptive ideas, in my opinion, meet great opposition at the beginning. I'm sure this is something you've seen uh, bringing forward such a groundbreaking company. Do you have any personal philosophies that help you get through tough times as a founder? Yeah, well, for me, that's also one of the reasons why uh, why I wanted to do this and, and why I'm doing this, because indeed, sometimes there are days that you, you're thinking, why am I making it so hard on myself? Especially if you have former colleagues getting into the easy corporate or, or easier corporate life just doing their job, getting their, their salaries or whatever. But in the end, I mean, it all comes down to if you've never tried something, you will never succeed. I mean, if, if, if you, if you want to make a difference and if you, if you believe in your technology and, and you, you want to make a difference to, uh, to society or even you want to make a difference for yourself, I mean, you can never blame yourself if you tried. Even if you failed, at least you tried. And if you've never tried, maybe you will... You will wonder your entire life, what if maybe I should have tried it back then? What if I, I had done mm -hmm. that uh, in, in that case? So, so that's the, the, the first advice I would say, like, like you know, try, especially if, if you're still young, there's no, no, not that much risk. I mean, you can fail, but you can always try again. And, and usually if you've shown entrepreneurial experience, you can still go into corporate and often that that's even seen as like a, a plus mm -hmm. on your resume. So okay, worst case scenario, you, you lose some money over time, but mm -hmm. I mean, I'm, 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 there's always um, ways to, to make up for that. And then yeah. the, the, the other thing I had, I once had a, heard a, a quote from my uncles, probably not, not from him, but it's like, um, if you are an entrepreneur, this means that you spend part of your life, like nobody else wants to, so that you can spend the rest of your life like nobody else can. So that's also a bit like a, 
motivation like that that you, you remember why you are doing it because mm -hmm. if you if you want to to make a difference yeah you have to go for it um yeah thank you so much for your time today jasper um it was great to have you on the podcast um we wish you the very best of luck as bioinks going forward and yeah hope to see you soon